it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and this week we speak to Dave Patton from Akasha Brewing. Over the last decade or more that the podcast has been running, Dave has been an unusually frequent guest and that's because he's always thoughtful and importantly always willing to engage in discussions about important topics that affect the industry. He's someone that I always enjoy speaking with on or off the microphone, with the conversations on mic very similar to the ones off mic, and I think that's important. And this conversation is no exception. The brewing industry is vastly different from where it was just eight years ago when Dave founded Akasha, and I wanted to hear his thoughts on what's driven some of those changes, and also where the industry is at at the moment, and most importantly, where it's headed. That's a bit of a continuing theme on beer as a conversation at the moment, but I think it's a very important time for the industry to be having these conversations. And I hope you appreciate Dave's insights as much as I do. Dave Patton, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good, mate. Good. It's been a a while. I, I, I don't think, you know, again, it's with 600 odd breweries and, you know, however many you know, staff and associated industries and interesting stories. You know, we don't often have people on multiple times, but I think this must be at least your second or third time on Beer as a Conversation, let alone Hottest 100s and things like that. So I, I, I think you are in the rarefied, um, you know, group of, uh, you know, frequent flyers. You're, you're in the chairman's lounge. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be in the chairman's lounge right now. That's not <laughs> a good place to be or a good look, is it? But, uh, mate, it's a uh, pleasure to uh, to chat with you once again. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a nice compliment. Thank you. Um, oh no! Again, it's it's always I've always appreciated your insights, and uh, you know, and, and particularly now, you know, because I, I, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, you know we, we you know we've had a lot of conversations over the years uh, looking at how exciting the future of craft beer is, and uh, we, we've found ourselves in a uh, very you know uh, uncertain present. Uh, finally, so it's always good to see to to get the in, you know the thoughts of people who are uh, you know I, I think is uh, uh, about that. Oh, another compliment! I like to. I'll get them all out of the way first, yeah, so that's right. so you can't say that. Oh, no, that'd be great. <laughs> no, a lot of nice things. But mate, how is it going? How how are things going for Akasha? It's what are uh, eighteen months since you guys did an equity crowdfund, and uh, I don't think we've really checked in on how the business is going since then. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind year. Um, we had some um, some big plans um, yeah, about 14 months ago uh, to uh, to expand, into, and, and we, we made a and what has turned out to be a pretty pretty good decision to diversify our business quite considerably. Um, you know, being a, a brewer and a beer guy for, for so long, um, we saw the opportunity um, moving forward to, to diversify in our hospitality a little bit more. And um, that's been a lot of what we've been focusing on for the last, uh, particularly last year. 
I thought you were about to say you were going to diversify and you were getting into oil and gas or something like that. <laughs> oil, gas, you know, <laughs> uh, hard solo, uh, whatever, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no doubt hard solo will, uh, will, will come up. But yeah, actually talk to me about that because, I mean, I, I know it's a diversification for Akasha, um, you know, because you, you've always had a tap room, but it was always, uh, you know, you guys started when having you know picking up those tap points that you could in a you know in a heavily contracted market um you, you could do on the strength of your beers and you know that you are highly regarded for hops which, which were the drivers of a, a lot of craft beer but then also if you had a strong brand um and the ability to do it uh packaged was a viable market um as well um and opening non-brewing venues wasn't what a lot of people wanted to do but uh Mm. there there seems to have been a real move towards that you know particularly over the last two or three years Mm. yeah look there's a few few reasons behind it for us we um and again yeah we we were a pretty hard-nosed hot forward brewery that's that's what we built our brand upon um for the last eight and a half years is is being focusing on something and doing it really well and and um yeah and that's uh, that was an important thing for us to to really solidify our brand in the market around those styles of beer but over the last few years we've, we've sort of diversified that a little bit um we always said that we'd yeah we brew hoppy beers because we love them and we wanted to take them out to the market and show people how good they could be but there were a few other um, things that we we also love just as much. We always said we'd all, we'd if, if we were going to bring something else to the market that um, it had to be something that we loved as much as an IPA. And one of the things um, that our brewers have been working on for a while and that we love was was um, barrel aged styles, which is very different to what we'd been doing in the past. So we'd been working on that program for a little while, and probably the thing that probably stressed me the most and stressed us all out the most was we didn't want to sort of just go, hey, we've got all these great hoppy beers and these barrel-aged beers and we're going to mix our brand up a little bit and maybe confuse the market. So um, we really wanted to separate out that barrel-aged program from our um, traditional um, beers. And um, so we we developed a, a subset of our brand, but also um, we wanted to um, have a different place to actually bring those to market to customers as well. So that's why we created the, the what we call the Barrel Room, which is in Leichhardt in Sydney, and uh, that was our first jump into hospitality. So really hospitality focused, but also with a real, um, uh, you know, it was there to bring those beers to market and not to uh, to dilute our existing brand too much. I know you're a frequent listener to the podcast, so you know quite often my uh, questions are in the form of statements because I'm working through what I'm observing and saying, well, this is what I see. So uh, please don't feel that you need to accept the premise of any statement I make. And if you disagree, that's actually where the, where the conversation starts. Yep. But, you know, I'd, having watched, you know, the last 15, 20 years of the development of craft beer, it was, you know, venues opening, Tap rooms became increasingly important, and then, mm. you know, as growth slowed, um, you know, we have seen you know businesses going. Well, how do we keep the momentum? You know, uh, we're not a stone and wood. We're not going to go national, and you know, um, I think uh, barrel barrel aging was one of the things that seemed like well, we're going to differentiate our product, hospitality. Um, you know, we've seen venues like Batch. We've seen a number of other breweries have talked about the hub and spoke 
model or multiple breweries, which are, you know, breweries like um, uh, Black Hops and uh, Catchment up here uh, with it, with its. Um, and then we've also seen, you know, acquiring just venue only uh, restaurants. Uh, more recently, we've seen, you know, the the, the, the growth in very light flavored beers you know the sort of thing that craft brewers you know once you know <laughs> sneered at um and it was almost the thing that drove them into craft beer it, i mean is it fair to say that in a crowded market a lot of people in diversifying are diversifying in the same way um oof, are they diver- yeah I, th- I think if you go to the um on the barrel load side, I'm not sure that you know, there's a fairly fairly green market for us. I think there's mm. plenty of opportunity there. I don't think there's a lot of competition there either. There's a couple of the obvious ones, but that was certainly something that um, we knew we could do well and could stand out and, and be different. But um, on the, I think on the light, the the yeah, you know, let's talk about lagers, for instance. We we've 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 got a three pronged approach to our our brand these days, and this again, really, we spent time. Um, just sitting back a bit over the last year, looking at um, our brand foundations, looking at our customer base, what they want, and what um, what can we deliver to those guys that they want, and still you know be something that we will be proud of and, and fits with our brand. So certainly a more approachable product is something that our customers we we've, we've asked our customers as well along the way. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about crowdfunding at some stage, but we've got 530. Um, we call them the inner circle, our investors, who have become a really valuable feedback mechanism for for what our typical market is looking for. So um, we've had the real great opportunity to sort of bounce off them a lot of ideas and, and that um, sort of, I hesitate to use the word cheaper, but a more valued proposition to market something. You know, we're, we're certainly not the cheapest in the market and that was holding some people back who wanted to drink our beers, something a little bit more um, easier to, to buy, but also something a little easier to approach and um, maybe not as hot forward as we as we would normally do. So um, our brand now has been split into three different things. We've got the Barrel series, which um, is pretty much exclusively through the Barrel Room. We have our core range, which is you know, the core of our business, which is our hot forward beers, but we've also got um, our other range, the Super Chill range, which is our our new sub brand, and we launched that with the Super Chill Pacific Ale a couple of years ago, which has been very successful. And we've added another um, another bit of that range just in the last couple of weeks, being the Lager, which is a bit easier to approach. And yeah, it is what the market's looking for, and it's 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 been going gangbusters for the last for the last month. So, um, but you know, it's really important that we separate those three brands into into their own distinct offering. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but. I'll follow up if you don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> um, it was the super, I was going to say there was a super chill lager that prompted this chat. You know, not equity crowdfunding, but it was you know interesting uh, that you know I can't, again you know you're somebody who really made his name as you know I don't think it's unfair to say the doyen of hops um, in, in in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. You know, Akasha is now eight years old. And you're well known for your, you know, love of hops and your celebration of hops through your beers before that. Yep. Um, but I, I was really struck when I did go back and listen to some of the past interviews um, that we'd done, and also you'd done. Um, you know, you were you were saying around the time of the equity crowdfunding that the uh, super chill uh, Pacific Ale was what you'd noticed that your staff were drinking 
at knockoff. Um, and, you know, like every now and then you hear something that just sort of, you go, ah, you know, because in an industry that's so heavily celebrated IPAs and big, bold flavors, um, and, you know, I believe that it was predicated on the, you know, one day everyone's going to be drinking this all of the time. And then suddenly the people who are the most passionate advocates for that part of the industry are also choosing, well, you know, actually I, I enjoy drinking a light sessional beer. Um, what does that tell us about the mindset that, you know, we went into the first 20 years of the, um, craft beer revolution um with <laughs> Were we I, wrong? I it, 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 it and and yeah you're right and it's and it's funny sort of looking at at the way that we've changed we've, we've got a, a lot of people in our business have been around, been in the business for uh for many many years so we've seen our you know, our personal sort of approach to beer change a lot over the last few years um where we've moved from you know i drink ipas and if it's not a double ipa then you know why bother? Maybe it's got something to do with my age. Maybe it's got something to do with the fact, you know, uh, I, I don't actually drink much. You probably know I was pretty uh, pretty sick a couple of years ago and um, I, I've certainly seen my consumption of beer change a lot. Um, I've had to, but it's also um, I, I, I've seen a lot of us and a lot of our people in the brewery move from, yes, if I had one Desert Island beer, it would be a double IPA and probably be Pliny the Elder and all that kind of stuff and none of that ever changes. But... What we've seen with ourselves is that, yes, we do want uh, – I can't drink six double IPAs in a sitting and be compass menders. I've got to um, – that might be – it might start with a couple of lagers. It might start with a couple of Pacificales and then end with one or two IPAs. And that's where we're seeing our consumption. That's where we're seeing our consumers, what they're buying. Um, everyone seems to be following that same sort of, sort of trend. And we're seeing um, – I think the, the problem with – uh, the market right now is trying. We've got more customers. We've got more tap points. We've got more um, bottle shops that we're working with than ever before. But what we're seeing is, um, I guess, the volume that those people are buying, you know, that our customers are buying, is reducing um, by offering them something else to go with the IPA. We're actually um, broadening the spend on each consumer and um, and you know getting some of that market share back. So that's. It's 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 something that we do. It's not we're not doing it just purely. Oh, look, let's just build something that the market wants, even though we're not really passionate about anything like that. They're, we're building things that that we love to drink as well. Um, yeah, Pacifico. Everyone reaches for one for a super chill after shift, whether it's a lager or um, a Pacifico, and then yeah, we'll have a uh, we'll have a Corbin a little later in the evening. I, I'm interested in hearing that the. While you've got more distribution points, the volume is down. Do you, do you have any insight into whether people are the people that are buying are buying less or fewer people are buying? If that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny when we you know, back to hospitality, um, we're, we're we're doing. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a data guy. I love looking at at the data, and 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 we're we're trying to break down. Um, what that looks like. And as I said, on, on the wholesale side, yes, we're finding that, um, as I said, we've got as many distribution points as we ever have, um, but the spend seems to be down. Um, and that might mean that they're buying a four pack instead of a case or they're buying, um, or they may actually be moving towards cheaper brands. The- Were people actually ever buying a case of Corbin? 
Yeah, oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> we, we certainly still have our hardcore and, and Wooden Lake, yep. which is our triple IPA, we get, uh, as soon as that gets released, there is a hardcore group of people that buy that stuff by the carton. Uh, good luck to them. Um, but I, I think we're finding that you know, when I'm talking to bottle shop owners, for instance, they're saying that people are certainly, and this is a general thing, not just for us or just for beer, but generally speaking where they're seeing people move to more what they call value products. So whether or not they're getting more of those for less or um, just moving to cheaper brands, um, people per head are spending less um, as they walk into the bowl shop. And as I said, in hospitality, we're seeing the same thing. Um, our challenge is that we're getting our, our venues are just as busy as they've always been. But over the, you know, in particular in the last six months, as interest rates have started to bite, we're seeing that um, the spend per head in hospitality just seems to be a bit less than where it was before. Um, I'll be sitting there on a Saturday night in one of our venues. The place is absolutely pumping, but then at the end of the night, you think, well, that's just a little bit less. And when we dive in, um, they're just not having that extra cocktail, that extra beer. Um, uh, on the food side, it seems to be pretty steady. So, we're, you know, I think people are definitely eating like they always have. On the booze side, we're seeing that spend just drop back a little bit, and I think it's just just not having that extra drink um, or that extra glass of wine, whatever it might be. Um, but at the end of the night, that's where that's where our challenge is, and that's what we're working on to try and uh, trying to get that back where it should be. But again, uh, <laughs> that's that's an interesting challenge to have because when you say you're trying to get it back, you know. Is the way to do that encouraging people to drink more? <laughs> because because <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, that's the kind of way. Yes, it is. But you know, but or is it? Is it? Is it the? Are they? And this we just we do, need to do a bit more deep dive in this data. But is it because people are still drinking the same amount, but they're going for the say the cheaper bottle of wine, or or um, they're skipping the barrel aged beer and going for the tap IPA? What is is it? What they're choosing as opposed to how much they're drinking? I think is probably a little bit more work we need to do on that. Because it's it's interesting. I had heard, and you know, this is where so much of the data that's cited is merely anecdote. And you know, uh, again, it's it's one of my criticisms uh, of equity crowdfunding that we're not really going to talk on. But there's a lot of data um, from some very obscure sources um, that aren't you know brewing industry analysts because there is just no data but if somebody says oh craft beer is expected to grow at seven percent over the next five years um, it, it, it's quoted but then it's quite often as I said um, you know what people are seeing um, and then if you hear enough people seeing it but then again you need to then are they seeing it for themselves or are they repeating what somebody else has said, which is the other oh. common trope? You know, you, there, there is just this accepted wisdom um, that uh, comes from. But having predicated that, um, one of the things that I am hearing from numerous sources that are seeing it themselves is, you know, people are having one or two cocktails at, you know, $18, $20 a throw instead of four beers at you know, $12 a throw. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a value inherent in the cocktail that they're willing to spend almost the same amount um, rather than, you know, four beers because there is a theatre and, a, you know, a, a, an experience inherent in, in the cocktail um, that beer may not be providing um, or, you know, beer may not be the thing that 
a certain generation wants to be seen holding anymore because it was, you know, I, I call it the um, flares effect. You know, no one in the late 70s wanted to be wearing, uh, or early 80s wanted to be wearing flares because they was, you know, the, the disco era had soured it. And I'd worry that, you know, craft beer has had its disco phase. And, uh, <laughs> The disco phase. It's uh, that's that's a new one for me. I may use that one as well. But I think uh, <laughs> it's all yours. Definitely, there's definitely. I think what one of the words that we're we're using a lot across the business is experience, and I think it's more than just. It's just not just about the beer or just about the wine or just about the cocktail anymore. And particularly with the younger generation coming through now, they're wanting. It's going. Things are going back, and I like this. People want an experience. They've only got, you know, they've got a few, you know, they're fewer dollars than they used to have a year ago or a couple of years ago. Um, if they're going out to uh, either one of our venues or one of our, um, one of somebody who stocks our product, they're not just going for that beer. They're not just going for that steak. They're not just going for any one particular thing. They're going for the experience. And so, um, as corny or as you know old school as it sounds, we we're trying to bring back the experience around the beer, um, so that it's more than just about the liquid itself. Um, the liquid we we nailed that years ago. We know exactly what we're brewing. We know we're confident that once they get the beer, they're going to love it. Um, but we've got to create an experience um, where they, you know, because they're not, they're not going to walk out of our, one of our venues and say, you know what, that was the most amazing night because that IPA was on point. That's not why they're going to keep coming back. They're going to come back because they had a bloody great night and they might not be able to pinpoint why, but um, they walked into the venue. The people were amazing. They were nice. They greeted them well. Um, the beer was on point. The wine was amazing. The food was top-notch. The music it was, it was, you know, they probably won't remember what song played, but having the right music is critical to the right experience. Um, was the place looking nice? Were the plants watered? Were the, was the sidewalk clean? Was their transport getting there great? So there's, there might be two or 300 touch points for that person, um, you know, at the end of the day coming in for a beer. But there's so many more things that go into creating that experience than just the beer itself. And I think that's what people are after right now. I'm trying to think of what the word is for that. Um, hospitality? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And, and, and that's, you're 100% right. It's about what, what, but yeah, again, going back to that, that target market that we're trying to, 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 um, to get, you know, drinking our beers at the end of the day. Um, what are they looking for? They're looking for experience, and yeah, hundred percent. They're looking for hospitality, not just a beer and a glass. I love it. Yes. Well, but again, like you know, I, I God, you know, Pete and I, you know, talk about Statler and Waldorf, but you know, <laughs> I think back to the conversations that we were having, and you know, we were talking, you know, years ago that you know, a restaurant isn't a kitchen. You know, <laughs> everyone knows that it's got a kitchen and that the food is going to be of a certain quality, but it's the front of house that matters as much. And, you know, I, I, I you know, was worried four or five years, you know, probably, God, I didn't need to go back and listen, um, that because of the way that the craft brewing industry 
started that it was bootstrap operations. It was people living, leaving their computer programming jobs or their engineering jobs or their sort of mining jobs and, you know, sold the promise of, you know, you, you love homebrew and your mates love your, your, your beer, find a shed and, you know, just have somebody slinging beers at the bar and that's good enough. Um, but those sorts of things always have a short shelf life because, you know, uh, people do start raising their expectations once it comes along. And, you know, it, it, is that um, the realisation that, uh, you know, again, I, I don't mean to put you in that category, but, you know, no. that, that as an industry-wide thing, we are seeing that you can't just have a bar and a shed with a couple of taps um, and a food van, you know, that may or may not turn up depending on the food van driver um, and have a successful experience. Thank God we still have that problem. Food, don't start me <laughs> on food trucks. We'll have, we'll have that conversation <laughs> another. Well, well, no, but, no. To, uh, well, tell me about that because again, no, that is, and it, it is, and and look, you know, I've been, you know, I'm doing this for long enough, but um, you know, with my first brewery, you know, back 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was, um, it was literally just you know, make some beer, open the fucking roller door, um, put out some some uh, <laughs> some milk crates. Um, don't worry how it looks because, in fact, all people want to do is come in and look at the stainless steel and have a beer in their hands. And it was true. That's all you had to do because it was so different. Um, and that was – and the experience then was and, – and still there is still a big element of this is that people want to see, learn more about the beer, how you made it, um, you know, look at the tanks that holds the beer. Like it, it's it's an amazing experience. Um, probably the difference back then is because it was you know we, we, and it's probably not too different today. But you know, having you know one of the brewers there, having me there, whoever it was, uh, who can who can you know really give him that experience. The exp- it's still an experience thereafter. I think the experience is just changing a little bit, and and the the bar needs to be raised a lot higher than it used to be. So it, it definitely is. But is that enough today? No, it's not. We need to do more. We need to offer more. We need to offer. Um, what we found after a few years was that um, you know a, a group of mates will come down to the brewery. There'll be one guy sitting there who doesn't drink beer, and um, he'd be the one that eventually say, "Come on, guys, I, I don't drink beer. Can you finish that and let's let's go down the road. Let's go down to the pub, and so I can have a you know whatever it was back then, maybe a glass of wine, whatever it is." Um, so we learned pretty quickly that the experience had to be um, sort of broadened a little bit to to for, to um, to make sure that we cater for the entire group of people that's coming in, keep them there longer, have a few more beers, um, give the driver a, a non-alcoholic beer, for instance. Let's um, you know someone else who doesn't like beer, give them a wine, all that kind of stuff, and then broaden that. Then we needed to make the place look a bit nicer, be a little bit more like a pub, um, you know. Get rid of the milk crate, bring in some nice chairs, some nice tables. So I think over over the last few years, whilst there have only been incremental changes, things things have um, have moved in the right direction. But um, again, right now, the experience that we need to provide to these people is um, it's a pretty high bar and something that um, you know is beyond just what the uh, what's in the glass anymore. So um, we 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 have a, a mantra internally to the business that we've been working with for a number of years now and it's we call it we love making everyday experiences remarkable and now for us up until recently that was we just made beer we had a tap room yes that's fine and that's great and we had a little 
um, local following and we still do today. But um, what we were relying on was, um, you know, we could provide the beer and we could insert it into situations. So people were buying at the bottle shop, taking on the picnic and our beer was in their situation or relying on our customers to provide a remarkable experience within their own pub or bar or wherever it was that was selling our beer. Um, what we realised was, one, we need to work closer with those people to ensure that they're providing the greatest experience. But by actually branching out into hospitality, we can provide the whole experience all of a sudden, not just one component of it. Um, we, were, we were able to take control of the entire experience and make sure that it was right. Um, have we got that perfect yet? No, we're still learning. But um, that's the real beauty of branching out into hospitality for us is to be able to provide that entire experience to the customer from the moment, um, not even before, yeah, before they get there, but by the time they're planning to come down, by the time they get home, we can, we can affect that experience. This is, I think, one of the huge challenges that the industry needs to confront again, you know, particularly, as I said, if, if you look at there were two or three phases of the craft beer movement so far, you know, there was the, the, the pioneers who were just having a crack and then there were the people who were inspired by them that bought into this idea that anyone could have a go um, and, you know, you could bootstrap your way in. And then, you know, and, and I think the, the longest phase has been the people that have then in turn loved what they've seen and have believed that message of 10, 12, 13 years ago that you can bootstrap your way in and have done that without the capital to then go, shit, you know, that market has moved. By the time I got my dream open, that market has moved on and I don't have the resources to pivot my entire business into a high hospitality. I don't have the background to know what good hospitality is. And I, you know, I, I think that that's one of, you know, I don't know, not dirty secret, but one of the great fallacies in the community is that good hospitality is an absolute skill. When I look at the people who practice good hospitality, I can see they are ninjas, you know, um, <laughs> and the things that they look at. But we still have breweries opening, you know, even now that, you know, um, maybe realise it needs to be a little bit harder. But, you know, that I, I worry that, you know, there aren't enough hospitality people, hospitality professionals in the industry to, uh, you know, to, to raise that level of service for them. I mean, is that a how have you gone about getting that skill? It is such a good point. Um, and. Whilst I'd like to think that, you know, I can do anything and I know what a good time is, I can provide that to anyone. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was pretty I throw important. the best dinner parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's across our business. I mean, um, yeah. maybe maybe thankfully for, for, for many people, I don't brew much beer anymore either because I've, I've managed to build a team over the last um, eight and a half years of some incredible people that brew great beer far better than I could ever have done. Um, so it was it was pretty important that I and a few of us admitted that we're not hospitality professionals and that we need to find the right people to do it. And I will totally agree. It has taken a long time and we didn't have – we built the right – you know, we found the right people over time, but it did take a lot of time to find the right ones. And these are people that we knew, people that we knew were already delivering these experiences to people in other businesses. And um, it was tough. Um, yeah, we've got 
52 employees now, which scares the shit out of me every day. But um, what I've needed to admit to myself many years ago now was that, um, you know, there's that old mantra of surrounding yourself with great people that are much better than you are. Um, in my case, not too hard, but it's <laughs> we, uh, yeah, by finding the right people um, to run the parts of my business and let them do it, don't try and, you know, admit to myself that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually not very good at hospitality, so rely on the right people to do that for you. Um, but having the wrong people in those positions can uh, can uh, certainly affect your business quite negatively very quickly, and that's in any part of your business, whether it be hospitality, whether it be brewing, whether it be finance, whether it be whatever it is. Um, finding the right people has been critical um, for me. Having seen the you know the, the the challenge getting skilled brewers, and you know that there are thankfully more brewers available. I still don't think there's enough and you know, enough experience and all of that, but skills is a hospitality industry wide um, challenge. You know, you've, you've got great restaurants that are facing that challenge as the brewing industry enters that, you know, <laughs> realizes that, hey, we're part of the hospitality industry. You know, that's an expensive skill to acquire in an industry that's already struggling under margins. Yeah, very expensive. I think um, an another lesson that I learned over the last couple of years is that good people, uh, you need to pay for them. Um, good people are rare <laughs> and they command a dollar. And I think by, you know, and, and certainly I've made these mistakes in the past and hopefully won't again, but, you know, by, you know, if somebody, it's like anything, you know, you get what you pay for uh, and good resources are expensive. Um, but good resources also work very hard and are passionate and, uh, well, they should be. Um, so, I guess that's two parts of the equation that we look for. Somebody with experience and, and with a proven track record of doing whatever we're hiring for. Um, but, you know, we started, well, started with two people. We're now 52. One of the things we've always looked for in anybody that works for us, whether they're, you know, sweeping the brewery floor or, you know, part of the senior management team is is passion because um, it's, it's a fucking hard industry. It's really, really hard. And it's harder now than it ever has been. If you don't have a large amount of passion for what you're doing, um, you're not going to last very long. So skill set's one thing, passion and real passion, not pretend passion, real passion for what you do um, really makes a difference. Um, so hospitality side, we've got um, some amazing people on board over the last year that um, go above and beyond and getting back to what I was saying before, their main passion is delivering the best experience to the customer. That's what it comes down to. Um, and then passion and experience and knowledge and all those things come together to, to, um, to you know, to hopefully create a successful venue or, or brewery. Although, I mean, hearing that word passion at the moment, some of the people that are struggling the most, you know, emotionally and mentally at the moment are some of the most passionate because they're, they're actually invested in what they do. Um, yep. And, you know, money and conditions it can at least give them the ability to, you know, at least they feel compensated for their passion and they get, you know, to get time out of the business to, to care for themselves. But, you know... It's an industry that is, I'd describe it as having mind passion, um, and uh, that's an exhaustible resource. Yep. Yeah, and, and passion doesn't last forever. 52 weeks a year, 12 hours a day, there's no doubt mm. about it. 
And in fact, it was it was um, uh, Piers who who uh, is our hospitality who runs hospitality across our three venues said to me just the other day that um, you know if 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 somebody's not performing, it's usually that they need a break. Um, and I think someone like me who probably works a little too hard, I love, I intensely love what I do. And, but what that makes me do is probably work a little too hard sometimes and get pretty close to burnout. Um, I've learned very much over the last couple of years to identify that and stop for a little bit. Um, but that's after, you know, 50 years of experience, right? So it's, I I might need some uh, business coaching from you in, in, (laughs) in, in, in that then. So it's, that's fine, but trying to, um, and getting back to what Piers was saying, which is identifying that somebody in the business is is starting to not perform. It, it is almost always because they are overworked, stressed, and need a break. Um, so having some level of um, you know, being able to pick up that slack and give that person a break, whether it's really just, you know, just lay off for a couple of weeks or even take a couple of weeks off or whatever it may be, um, people need breaks and we need to make sure that we've got enough people in the business and enough, not just one person that's skilled at that, one person that's skilled at that. If we can make sure that we have some level of redundancy in the business um, to allow people to have a break, um, that's something that, that really hit me hard over just, just over the last couple of weeks that we, we need to take a look at across the business. It's interesting to use the word redundancy because, you know, like businesses that are lean it, it, you know, almost don't, by definition, have redundancy because redundancy is a cost. It is an additional cost over just the uh, cost of attracting staff. And that's one of the things that I think craft breweries, you know, if you think of redundancy, you know, it's maintenance that is undone. It's, you know, having people do multiple jobs, you know, just in time, all of those sorts of things because they are lean businesses. One of the things I've been hearing over and over again um, on the podcast, and you know, I interviewed um, you know a lot of people about where they're growing, but they're not increasing revenue, is because for all of the costs that businesses are occurring, they can't put the prices up because beer seems to have a couple of price ceilings. How do you build that into a business? You know, in in the craft beer industry that has always been very thin. In, in terms of, you know, the ability to have any sort of fat, let alone redundancy. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not, and I know, we certainly have not achieved that perfectly. Um, this is sort of something we're just looking at at the moment. So, excuse me, it's, it's, it's probably more, yeah, we can't, we can't afford to have two people that do the same job ready just in case they're needed. It, it really does come down to cross-skilling um, across the organisation. Um, you know, does it mean that, you know, in a, in a hospitality world that, and it's, you know, because we've got very distinct sections within the business, within a hospitality venue, where we've got the kitchen staff, the front of house staff, the management staff, the, the, the people that are very, have very specific jobs. Um, brewers are the same. You're a brewer, you're in accounts or you're whatever. Um, it becomes a cross-skilling question. That's what we're looking at because you're right. The costs in our business um, in the last 12 months have just blown out of control in every part of our business. And in fact, I've got a lot of friends in very different industries. There's not one industry that hasn't been impacted by by increasing prices, whether it's you know whether it's electricity and gas, whether it's yep. raw materials, whether it's people. Um, and when you need to cut costs, and, and, and certainly across our business, we've we've had a number of initiatives over the last year to reduce costs, and that's been great. And and some of that has been to make sure we're as lean as we can without 
you know, overworking everyone too much. So it's a delicate balance. Definitely not one that we've nailed yet, but it's it, for us. It's more of a cross selling, uh, cross selling, cross uh, cross skilling. Sorry, um, initiative. So it's if somebody needs a day off, somebody's sick, somebody's you know somebody in the kitchen. Is there somebody in the front of house that can actually step in and wash the dishes? Or you know, it doesn't have to be a very skilled position. It needs to be relatively unskilled worker. Where can you have redundancy across departments uh, within the business? That's that's they're the kinds of things we're looking at, but. No easy answer. I'll give you that too. Well, no, and and it's, it's funny. Even that the, the answer went that way because I was thinking, you know, that well, you just have to wear. It's an additional cost you have to wear, and you know, um, of, of having you know slightly more staff than you actually need. So you've you've got that because uh, my my it, it, assuming it went that way, I was going to say, well, how do you build that? Because we're not, as I said, we're not seeing beer prices go up. Um, we're know. definitely not seeing beer prices up. That's for sure. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely it's not. Yeah, I, I can't go and add another twenty percent um, worth of uh, human resources to our business. Uh, we mm. just can't afford it uh, in any part because literally we've spent the last twelve months pulling apart our P and L um, to see where we can save costs without impacting quality, without you know impacting staff without it's it's a hard task but we've we've done a, a bunch of stuff to do that but um I, there's certainly no way i could add another 20 percent of our human resources bill that's for sure that's, <laughs> why why do you think that beer prices aren't going up oh that's a very philosophical question and um i think is you know what what i'm seeing out and you're right we we need to you know our beer should be as an independence should be 20% more than it is at least. Um, what we are, I've spent um, a fair whack of time over the last couple of months. Um, I, I, I love selling. I love selling beer and my passion for and that's because I love it. And, and I, so I, I quite often stop, get out in the road with the reps, um, see what's going on in the market. It gives me a bit more of a, a view of what's going on out there. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, let alone putting prices up, there's, there seems to be a lot of instances of prices coming down as people fight for market share, which is a real danger for us as an independent beer market. But um, what I am seeing is that the big guys have been putting their prices up. This is what I was uh, going to ask. And we're, not, and we're not, as an industry, we haven't followed them. So I often see uh, independent brewers selling beers in bottle shops cheaper than, you know, some of the classic craft beer brands. When the, the promise of craft beer was always, it was a premium. I think the bottle shops, they've been relatively steady. We've seen a slight increase in some of the, the big guys, but um, certainly in the, in the on-premise, the kegs, we've seen kegs, the price of kegs uh, for, you know, let's take Stonewall Pacific Ale for an example. I've seen, you know, I've seen small guys paying over $400, before rebates, but paying over $400 a keg. That's what the price is now. Um, I'm certainly not selling my Pacific car for 420 bucks a keg. I wish I was. But if I try and price that keg at the same point, even after rebates, um, I said, well, why, why, you know, well, I'm, I'm fe I feel like a lot of, uh, maybe, maybe these are the wrong customers, but some customers are not, they, they, they don't value independence as much as you and I do. Um, but they can get, they, they can get, you know, that beer cheaper from somebody else. So. That's fine. I'm not going to buy yours. Mm. And, and, and that, you know, yeah. I mean, that, and, and that terrifies me, you know, because on one hand, 
we're an industry that celebrates more breweries. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a, too much of a simplification to say that a lot of those more breweries have opened up in the same places um, or, you know, with, with the same business model. And, you know, competition is great up until there's too much competition um, and you, you, you need to compete on price. Um, and, you know, again, to just throw a couple of other observations in, you know, we've seen a number of breweries, a number of significant breweries expand capacity during two years of, you know, rarefied COVID growth that I think people thought were going to go on forever. And uh-huh. now they've got capacity that they need to fill. Um, yeah. And we've seen prices go down trying to fill that. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder how sustainable they are not only for their own business, but for everybody. I, I, yeah, I, I, it certainly can't go on forever. The reason the big guys have put their prices up is because they will, yeah, they will maintain margin. Um, what we're not doing as an industry is maintaining margin. I mean, in a perfect romantic world, we'd all you know, agree and everyone, you know, prices will go up in line with at least the cost of goods or at least inflation. But um, the longer it doesn't move, the tougher it's going to become. So... Um, I think I, I do believe that a number of the new uh, stop me if I'm wrong, but a number of the newer players coming onto the market are looking at more of a brew pub model, which is something I've always I've said for a number of years now. If you're going to open a brewery, don't don't be, you know focus on being a brew pub rather than you know getting you know distribution and wholesale into bottle shops. And uh, it's a, I, I I would hate to be starting at that point right now. Um, Getting shelf space and, and getting tap points is is harder now than it's ever been, um, because we've been doing it for a while and and we've got a number of loyal customers. We're we're okay, but being a new brand right now, I, I would shudder at the thought of of trying to sell wholesale. But I'm I, I would hope that a number of these new entrants are more of a brew pub model and not not focusing too much on distribution. So hopefully they won't be crowding the the shelf space too much moving forward. I hope the ones that are you know, going back to the start of this conversation, the ones that are opening brew pubs, aren't thinking that they're just a brewery. You know, that they're not just a kitchen; they're a, a, a restaurant. Um, you know, that, that yeah. makes its own beer. They're um, a hospitality destination, man. They're. A- <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God! I mean, there's still so many um, topics. We we this could almost be a two-parter, um, but. <laughs> It was interesting when I did go back, you know, um, we had a conversation, I remember it very well, I was driving down the coast and, you know, we just had one of our, uh, you know, th- those conversations, that were, that, not terribly unlike this, to be fair, and thank you for <laughs> participating, um, you know, on, on rec- and I, yes, I did hit record, I'm just making sure of that, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, thank you for participating in that, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, this was before the crowdfunding, but you were talking about, you know, looking at growth and weighing your options and you know my question at the time when I was seeing a lot of breweries looking for growth was you know you know Dave do you need to grow like it is your business survival contingent on growing and you know you sort of said oh no look you know we're at a nice equilibrium point and mm-hmm. things like that and but then you know I went back and listened to your chat with um, Chris Lukienko um, around the time of the crowdfunding, and he says, "Oh well, we want you know, our aim is to grow, and you know we want the the funds to grow to one one and a half million liters because that's when you start getting out of the pinch point." Yep. And you know, I was I was just wondering whether 
there is a sweet spot. You know, if, if I, I describe brew pubs as being a news agency, you're buying yourself a job, doing something you love. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge is if you buy a news agency, you know, you can walk in for a multiple of revenue and walk out, assuming you've kept that multiple with the same thing with a brewery you've got a depreciating asset unless it does grow. Um, you know, is small brewing sustainable um, without growth? Really good question. It's, I think, small, small breweries, yes. I mean, the, the beauty of the excise rebate where it sits, if you're a small brew pub or even a small brewery that distributes a little bit as well, if you're sitting you know, somewhere around the leaderage that enables you to stay under that that um, $350,000 rebate. Um, yeah, I think it's it's relatively sustainable. Um, it's um, unfortunately, yeah, well, let's not, well, I don't want to go down the path of the excise rebate, but unfortunately the fact that it's not indexed is is that's becoming smaller and smaller every year, particularly in a, in a you know, high interest rate environment that we're in, well, not, not really high, but higher than it has been. Um, the the excise is going up at least with, you know, in line with, with CPI and and that $350,000 is still $350,000 and will be for the foreseeable future. So that that barrier is getting lower and lower as each year goes by. So if you're sitting under that, I think you can do it. That's fine. Um, but as you get grow, we used to we used to talk about the million litres is where you need to be um, to, to turn a profit. We've, we've been sitting at that sort of break-even point now for quite a few years. This year, um, we'll struggle to hit that point because two reasons. One, because we've um, because of uh, the investment we've had from a couple of different places over the last year or so, we've we've spent hard, and so we'll we'll show a little bit of a loss this year. But that's fine, and I think most breweries will, to be honest with you, as the cost going. But what what our aim has been is to um, to minimise those costs over the last year to a point where if, if you know. The market right. I, I honestly believe the market right now is is, and this is in any market. Again, I, I talk about. I've got plenty of mates in different industries. Every single one of them is at a point where they're saying, "Well, right now there's pretty much zero growth in my industry. Um, we need to, and we just don't know how long that's going to go for." I am a true believer that we will come out the other side, and, and there will be growth in this industry. How much it is, I'm not going to bother trying to guess because none of us know. We're we'll kidding ourselves if we do, but. Um, this flat period, um, how long is it going to last? You and I don't know the answer to that. Otherwise, we'd be um, a lot richer than we are. So it's for us, it's about whichever point we're at, as long as it's not a, a big high growth year as it was for us this year, we need to make sure we minimise the cost so that we're at a break-even point so that we can, we can go through these slow periods for as long as we need to um, and then be ready for growth on the other side of that. Um, you know, are, are we a hugely profitable business? No, we're not right now. Um, how big do I want to be? We, we, we made a decision a few years ago that do we want to be that, in the, and that's hence why we crowdfund and hence why we've had investment in the business. Do we want to be have a growth mindset or do we want to, you know, just, just plot along at the size we are? We had the option of both. We were certainly big enough to be able to plot along if that's what we wanted, but um, we had a number of, facets of facets of our business that we wanted to grow and we took that decision and and here we are today um you know we've managed to grow over the last year which is in revenue which is good um 
but I do believe that in you know in another six to twelve months we'll have the opportunity to to really hit the accelerator on that as well. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question. How big do you need to be? Um, you know, we, we've got a, we have a very, we, we still have a strong growth mindset, albeit with a bit of a, a lull at the moment. Um, but, you know, we want to head towards, um, you know, that couple of million litres in the next couple of years and, um, and then keep going from there. Not for your business, but, you, you know, it was positive to hear you say that you think that we'll come out of this industry flat point and, and, and go back into growth. Yep. Where do you think that growth is going to come from? Um, you know, is, is it going to be the craft segment growing, or will it be the beer segment growing? Will it be, you know, what and 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 what do you think is going to drive it? I, I, I do think it's the craft. I think beer. You know, if, to tell you that the beer that you know, that downtrend in beer is going to you know, turn point, I think it will flatten out. I think I don't think I think there there are. I'm I'm seeing signs in that younger demographic of, of coming across the beer. Yes, we're we're up against the hard solos. We're up against all the sweet things that you and I talk about a lot. But um, I think beer in general um, will stay pretty steady. I don't think there's going to be a huge growth in in beer, uh, but I do think as craft matures, as craft is more than just um, you know IPAs and double IPAs. I think there's we we do have the opportunity to grow the craft segment of beer. Um, how we do that as an industry is, is the key though. And I think, you know, um, some of the stuff we spoke about at BrewCons and the stuff you were leading, of course, is, is vitally important for us as a sector to be, uh, to be attractive. And how do we do that? Um, and that's all of us, not just, you know, whatever I've got to say is, is great. But as, a, as, a, as an independent beer or at least craft beer segment, how do we make it more attractive to um, to different um, and particularly the younger demographics who are who we're going to be relying on to drink our beer for the next you know 10 15 20 years so um, do I have the answer of course not again wouldn't be sitting there <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I know you haven't uh, caught up I, I, I do have a I do have a very romantic view of the world um, I do believe that it you know that we can grow this segment but um, we've got to think outside the box and some of the stuff, that you've said over the last year in particular around, um, you know, we need to make beer more attractive and craft beer more attractive. That's the key. How do we do that as an industry? Mate, like you, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a hopeless romantic. Uh, I I guess the problem is I've had my heart broken far too often and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming one of those people that just wants to stay at home and, you know, pat his cats. Um, yeah. And I, mean, I think, I think we, we use, you know, words like cautious optimism, right? I mean, it's about, you know, we, we need to believe in it. Otherwise, you know, why, why would we be doing it? Right. I, I, I there's no point in me. See, if I sat here and said, you know what, I think beer's fucked. We're, 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 we're no good. We're going to lose market share. Yeah. Why bother? Um, I, I truly do believe I love this industry and I love this industry because I love beer. Um, at, 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 you know, that's what it all comes down to essentially. That is my choice and I am out there and this is why I love getting out on the road just to make sure that, you know, the amount of people we meet that love beer and, and um, whether they're young, whether they're old, they're, they're all still there. Mm. Um, and I believe or the market. Do the same people who are yet to discover it are still there. Hundred percent. And I'd say, I tell you, just sorry, a little bit of a story. I, I, when when we created the barrel program and and released our first barrel beers into the market through the barrel room in Leichhardt, I I kind of thought we were heading for the point. We were, we were sort of approaching the pointy end of the market, right? So we were 
we were, you know, all the beer nerds would be coming down and, um, oh, I'm going to try that, you know, that latest, you know, 10.5% barrel-aged stout and, you know, they're the sorts of people I thought we would attract. What's ended up happening is um, particularly our sale, we've got a sale, pro- a proper sale program as well. So we've got some, you know, um, sale Blondale that, is, that was in barrel for uh, two and a half years. It was three years from the moment we brewed that beer to when we released it in, in the bottle. Um, it is an amazing, amazing, delicate, delightful to drink beer. Um, it's ended up being a gateway beer for so many different people who have come into the barrel room um, where, oh, I don't really drink beer, I'll have a champagne or I'll have a wine or I'll have a this. And it's like, well, just try this and tell me what you think. And they absolutely adore the Sour Blonde. And so all of a sudden these people are coming back and buying bottles of it and, you know, regular customers and, and we've actually started to convert people who were never going to drink beer, whether it be a light lager, whether it be a double IPA, it just wasn't for them. Um, but we've found um, the particular the sale program has become this real gateway into the Akasha world. It's been uh, it's been really satisfying to be honest. So I think as long as we market things, and that's a and the, yeah, the, for us where the bar, the the bell room is is a very it's a fancy restaurant, right? It's a fancy place to go. We provide you know, and we're always improving that experience that we're giving people. It's it's not. It's not your backyard barbecue situation. It's it's this is a really really nice you know um, yeah dimly lit dark wood you know all the beautiful place to mm. visit and people are uh, and we're converting people to beer in this environment and they're spending fifty sixty bucks a bottle on one of these beers so. There's different. There, I think we've got to think outside the box in terms of, and this that was a revelation to me. I never really thought about it, but um, there, there are different ways that we can we can bring people across into the beer world as well. Matt, hundred. Although you know, it was funny you talked about a gateway, and you know, barrel age was you know that end of the market. I always found you know some of the classic mm. Belgians. I always tried to include Belgian beers in my tastings because I found that you know they were uncompromisingly good beers, but also just had that wow factor that showed people that beer could be broader than the Forex or the Tuis that they grew up on. Mm. And it's it, it, it it's interesting. One of my personal great regrets um, about the early days of the industry is the whole idea of the gateway beer was derided. Um, you know, it was, it was sneered at, it was looked down on because it was too close to what we were rebelling against. And I think that's the nature of the re- rebellion, you know, of a revolution yeah. is you have to be out against something. <laughs> that's um, and we were too late to really embrace the gateway beer because the number of breweries that are now going, well, we need to diversify our market. They're not looking at how do we grow the beer market or how do we bring people over? It's, well, we need to make seltzer or we need to compete by making, you know, hard solo equivalents. Um, because that's where the growth is and you know the i think the honest truth about getting into those segments is it's a survival for a business it's not a survival for the brewing industry because it's not going to bring anybody closer to beer yep yeah i agree it's um it's uh yeah you've got to it, 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 yeah i mean we, we went we've been through we every every we have a what we well it's our um uh, product development. We've got a program that we're running um, all the time, which is um, which is run by George, who our operations uh, manager, who um, NPD, new product development, 
you know, bring everything to the table. As long as we're passionate about it, we'll consider it. And so we're bringing all sorts of things to the table, whether it be, you know, and seltzer was a, was a big decision point for us a couple of years ago. Now, this is where everyone's headed. Um, do we want to make seltzer? It's like, do you like seltzer? No, not really. Do you like seltzer? No. So it didn't, it didn't really pass the passion test, right? So it's, it needs to be something. I, 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 I quite like your argument. No, I hadn't thought about it that way before, that if it is something that's not beer, so let's just say someone brings hard solo to the MPD table and we all decide that we're passionate about it and we, you know, we want to make it, um, it's not actually doing the craft beer or the beer industry um, any good in terms of growth. It's it's just a company level thing. It's a, it's a really nice way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it that way before because, um, yeah, beer is why we're here, right? Well, and, and that's, you know, no criticism to anyone that decides to diversify their businesses out of beer. You know, it's when your house is riding on it, you, are, you know, are, are willing to change your focus or refocus your uh, passions um, because owning a house is a nice passion to have. But my, you know, again, have, have the honest conversation about what it means for that you are actually, you know, this we're passionate about beer maybe have to be jettisoned um, a little bit as well. So, um, you know, and that's that's no criticism. I think that's just a truth that needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. You can't sort of say to someone, no, you shouldn't be making hard solo because it's not beer. I mean, that's that's fine. And and even from a... Well, I I think you can say to somebody, you shouldn't be making hard solo because you're actually (laughs) weaponizing soft drink. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a, that's certainly a discussion for another day. But it's um, I, I think from a, and, and even from a hospitality perspective, because we are doing more than beer, so you know we are uh, making sure that we have um, you know amazing wine lists and and great spirits and and again trying to support some of the local craft distillers, some of the craft you know small smaller wineries. Uh, we only serve Australian wines um, and predominantly from smaller producers because one we we do believe that they're the best product. But to you know, supporting their industry is, is just as important as supporting ours. So we're doing that. Um, but if we think that um, there is a product that will fit into our hospitality um, world that we can make and we can make the best and um, it fits into that experience, then that's certainly something we consider as well. Um, but that's probably starkly different to our wholesale business. Oh, mate, I, again, I, this could easily be a, a multi-part uh, chat because there's a, a lot more that we can talk about solving the uh, challenges and celebrating the industry as well. I, th- I think it's been a nice, you know, it's been a nice, uh, you know, positive note. I'm criticised for being too negative all the time, and you've brought around <laughs> a very positive finish. Um, but promise, I know you haven't caught up with last week's episode, and I've copped a bit of a stick you know, as I should. Um, you know, saying that you know a. a campaign for beer should be it's a you, you need to step up to it you know it's, it's a it's a drink for adults um but uh maybe once you get a, a a chance to listen to that episode you can leave us a speak pipe uh, with your thoughts you know pro positive or negative because it, it it certainly sparked a really great discussion which is what i think needs to be had out in the open oh 100 I, th- I think whether whether whatever sparks that discussion is not important it's it's to make sure that we're still having that discussion as I said to you, um, the beauty of having uh, a venue in Newcastle is I spend four hours on the road at least every single week. So uh, listen to you every week, Matt, but I'm usually <laughs> a week behind. So I'll be, uh, I'll be going out on Friday morning listening to that particular podcast. And uh, yeah, I'll, um, I'll give you a call and let you know what I think. 
Awesome, mate. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time. Sorry uh, for the, uh, it's my first chat post daylight savings. And of course I fucked it up. Um, although these apps have a thing where you can sort of set the time zone. So it should have converted. But then again, I told you eight o'clock, so you probably wouldn't have picked it up. So uh, apologies, but thank you. I was sitting there at 8.05 thinking, oh, you know what's happened. <laughs> yeah. So this I didn't think about be- it until I was on as well, so... I'd like to say it was just the first one, but this is going to continue well into uh, late November. So uh, apologies also to anybody that's coming up on the show from a different time zone. (laughs) Good on you, Dave. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it and uh, look forward to catching up soon. And that was Dave Patton. Don't forget, if you've got something to say, something to add, something to comment, you can reach out to us in a number of ways. You can email producer at bruisenews.com.au. You can join the Facebook group, or you can leave a voice message on SpeakPipe. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. And so other listeners can hear what you think as well. If you work in the brewing industry and are listening to this, you're not alone. If you want to reach the industry's decision makers, we have their ear, and I'd say their trusted ear as well. And you can too. Shoot through an email to sam at bruisenews.com.au to find out how you can advertise in this podcast. We'll be back this Friday with Bruise News Week with all of the insight and analysis from the last seven days of industry news. I thank you for listening to this conversation as well as to the podcast in general. Mm-hmm.